This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Vask, whose footwear has delivered trust on the trail since 1964. With over 50 years of trail footwear innovation, Vask's hiking boots, backpacking boots, and trail running shoes are built to perform on any trail, in any condition, around the world. Vask designs and builds footwear that is honest, original, and true to their commitment to reliability and technical innovation, and it's focused on a single-minded purpose, elevating your experience on the trail. Learn more at www.vask.com. That's www.vasque.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. This is Kathleen Merrick, and the biggest moments of growth for me are usually small nudges of change. When I look back now, I can clearly see them, but when they're happening, it's more like a soft breeze that just catches my attention, and I'm held in that present moment. This episode is all about those small moments of growth in our lives that can affect us in a big way. I think listener Kathleen describes it so well. Being a natural leader, this is difficult. For example, when I'm not taking the lead and I'm sitting back, allowing a silence, not stepping forward, not just doing something, that's when I'm letting those soft breezes remind me that winds are shifting and I'm having a moment of growth. And when they build up and build up, that's when I'm making the biggest changes of my life. Before we jump in, I've got to say, I'm really excited to be talking to you again. It feels like it's been too long. So much has happened in the past month. Natural and unnatural disasters have taken the shape of hurricanes and earthquakes and mass shootings. It feels small to talk about what I've done in the last month in comparison to all this. I hope it's enough to say that my goal, especially with this episode, is to provide a little light through the stories of the women featured. This episode was taped in part at No Man's Land Film Festival in Carbondale, Colorado. It's the first all-women's outdoor film festival. This was the flagship event, but there are screenings around the U.S. You might remember the founder, Aisha Weinhold, from episode 26. It was my first experience recording live, And while it was a bit painful to re-listen to, I know you listeners all have compassionate ears. I decided to take sections of the live podcast, which featured a filmmaking sailor, an adventure photographer, an artist, an entrepreneur, and a pack rafting businesswoman, and combine it with submissions from listeners like Kathleen. Sometimes it'll be past me talking on the panel at the film festival, and sometimes it's present me guiding you through these inspiring stories. I hope that they may ignite some growth in your lives, too. So this is my first ever live podcast. I'm really excited to be trying something new with a medium that I really adore. The concept of this quasi-panel, quasi-micro-interview series is a moment of growth. And... I guess backing up, I'm a really big fan of incremental growth and incremental change. I think we we all change and grow throughout our lives, and often we kind of look back on that growth. And I wanted to take this time as an opportunity to reflect on some of those little moments of growth that we have in our lives. And the really nerdy parallel that I like to draw with these moments of growth is going back to high school calculus, 
Um, I love thinking about like life as a curve that's like going up and down and moving. And what I used to love about calculus was that you could pick like an infinitely small point on that line and you could calculate the derivative. And the definition of a derivative is the rate of change. So today we're just talking about these really small moments in our lives that either propelled us forward or made us think in a different way, but it's really up to the individual. The first woman I chatted with was Kat Carney, an adventure photographer and filmmaker. Three years ago, Kat was one of the first artistry features on she-explores.com, and it was really fun to get to spend some time together in person. So in advance of our conversation today, I asked Kat to share a moment with me. Could you share that, that moment with the group? I've been learning to surf basically for like the last seven years. It's kind of a very involved process. And last year, I spent the whole month of November in Baja surfing the whole peninsula. And it was probably about a week in. We had made it to Baja Sur. It's mostly right point breaks there, and we had been surfing a lot of breaks with rocks at the bottom. And that was really kind of freaking me out because... I still fall a lot, like all the time, every day that I get out in the water. And I wasn't sure that I could control my falling. So we finally got to this beach break in Cerritos with a nice sandy bottom, and the waves were a little bit smaller. And I paddled out, and I was just, like, super psyched to do it. And then I just, the waves were a lot bigger than they looked from shore, and I just got slammed repeatedly over and over for, like, the course of two hours. (laughs) I got held under. And, uh, you know, that's when you go under and you think you're going to be able to come up and take a breath and another wave crashes right on top of you so you can't breathe. So when I came out of that, I was really just shaken and I thought maybe surfing isn't for me. Maybe I should just like give up. And I didn't get in the water like the next day or the next day or the next day. (laughs) We finally moved to a different break in central Baja. And the lines were just like beautiful and clean and I felt inspired to get back in the water. And another thing that happened was I saw my first female surfer partner (laughs) bobbing out in the lineup. And so I was like really stoked that there was another girl down there. And the guys in the lineup too were super supportive and, you know, really encouraging me to get out there and try it again. And my goal for the month was to get Baja's famous for like minute long rides forever down the line. And so I was like, I want to experience that before I leave. And two days before we left the trip, I had like multiple minute long rides down the line at this break in central Baja. And I was just like almost crying. I was so happy. And to be thinking about like just giving up completely like the week before and then to go back and have your like highest high ride after that was like a pretty spectacular experience. And so, so what in that moment when you were like about to go in again, like what, what really made you want to go? Was it a combination of that feeling of like wanting that feeling again when it works? Um, was it, you know, seeing the, the other per- people out there who were supportive of you? Yeah. So what really happened was at this break, it got, <laughs> got kind of a lot smaller and everyone went over to this other one that was going off. And so my husband and I just got in the water together and um, popped up and rode like shorter versions. So it was small. So it wasn't breaking as long and far as it normally was. And so I got my pop up and my, and making the drop down basically just like repeatedly over and over like 30 times in a row. And then when the, when the waves came up again and the swell came back in, 
I felt way more comfortable and confident doing that, not thinking about rocks, not thinking about anything, just getting up and going and then, you know, turning back around and, and continuing down the line. So just really getting back in slowly and then a slightly easier way and practicing and building up my confidence to get back in with bigger waves. Kat's working on a film about female surfers in Baja. I'm really excited to see what she does with a video camera in the water. Living and working in the North Country, or the White Mountains, as they're known to everyone else, after I came back from the Peace Corps, was something that really changed my life. This is listener Leanna Lee, and she's talking about the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It was a tough weather and cultural transition back from Cameroon, which is located in West Africa. I had become accustomed to very warm weather and a lot of sunlight, and suddenly here I was in New Hampshire in November and December, starting a new job, trying to meet people and all of these things, and it was just really dark and cold and difficult. And there was all of this cultural transitioning back that I was trying to adjust my brain to. But even when life was really hard, I always looked up to Mount Lafayette on my way to work and I would say thank you. And especially on the big blue sky days that you sometimes get in New Hampshire that simply take my breath away. I said thank you to the mountains and to Lafayette because it was my way of paying respect to these mountains that are home to some of the worst weather in the world. And it was also my way of remembering that much of life is vaster than my own human-sized problems. At No Man's Land, I talked with Janie Dial, the co-founder of Wilder Goods. You might remember Janie from episode 14 of She Explores, The Women of Wilder. I've always appreciated her openness when sharing about her own life. Even in front of an audience, this felt like an intimate conversation. I was thinking about all the big kind of pivotal moments of my life. And I, as I reflected on it over the last few days, I think one of my biggest moments of growth was not a moment where I gained a lot. I think when we think about growth, we think about what we take on and and things getting kind of bigger and and more more exciting or something like that. when I think about one of the, the major growth points in my life, it was actually what I gave up and what I left behind. Back in 2014, my life was disrupted. <laughs> um, my, my boyfriend and best friend was killed in a climbing accident. And I could talk about that moment as, as pivotal, and I think that might be an obvious place to start, but... The moment that I felt the most kind of inner change and growth was exactly one year later when I decided to pack up my house and get rid of everything. And, um, and so for me, growth has meant so many things over the last, it's, it's been four years now, and growth has meant not just what, what I've gained and, and how I've learned and the lessons that I've taken away, but also the identity and the the narrative and the things that I've also kind of left behind. Um, And like thinking about it in terms of like a clean slate, I think this is the best way to describe it. Was the clean slate feeling one of the reasons that you chose to physically downsize? I spent so much time. So our our house stayed exactly the same, except um, when my co-founder and 
best friend Lindsay moved in six months later. She changed things and her dog came to live with me and that was the start of, of what would become our business um, and our, our really deep friendship. But I kind of left everything as it was. It, do you guys know the film Last of the Mohicans? It's my favorite film. <laughs> and there's this line where Daniel Day-Lewis, he comes upon these this pioneer cabin that's been burned to the ground and it's been completely annihilated and their bodies strewn everywhere. And he says, they stay as they lay. I don't know if you guys remember that. I, I love that scene in the movie because I think that as a culture, we, we try to... Um, we try to bury things. I can't talk about this without like just charging through it. <laughs> um, and I was really committed to not burying anything. So instead, I decided to sit with it and stay with it. But then I woke up kind of exactly one year later and then I was just done. And I think that's the beauty of, of grief in these big moments in our lives where we just kind of wake up and we know that things have to change. And that's kind of how it happened for me. I, I put in my time, I guess. And I decided that I needed to clear it all out, get rid of everything. And some of my most precious possessions, I guess, were my books. Like I'd been carting around <laughs> probably 50 pounds worth of books for you know, 12 years since I was in college and I, I remember the yard sale and all these people came and I was really delighted <laughs> that they took these books away. Like I knew that they were going to maybe not a better place, but, um, but that they would be in someone else's possession and that they could, they could have these things that I had held and clung to so tightly for so long. And um, that, was, that was that same, same week. Thank you for sharing that with me and us. So now how, how do you accumulate? Like if you've, you know, thought about, you know, this letting go, now how, what's the process in accumulation? That's such a good word, accumulation. I'm accumulating experiences, and I'm so much less interested in accumulating things. Because things, well, people go away too, but um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm diving into um, friendships deeper than I ever have and I, I live near my family now and I have a nephew and so I, I find a lot of joy in just dumping my energy into people and experiences and travel. And I live in a basement and I have a really cheap rent and I don't have a lot of things. Um, I kind of like it that way for now. You're also dumping a lot into your business too. <laughs> Pouring my God damn blood, sweat, and tears into it. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of energy left over from that. Um, business is, it's gnarly. It's really hard. It's a test of endurance. And I am trying to keep my head above water, but sometimes I fall under. But most of the days, because of the community that I have and because of these really powerful lessons that I've learned about but what, what you keep with you and what keeps you alive and, and awake and aware. Um, I'm really glad that I, that I have that um, in my daily kind of sitting on my shoulder. Because um, sometimes mortality, we think of it as, as so morbid and, and we don't have a, a constant conversation around the, the reality of life. And um, so talking about it in terms of what we gain and 
and how we grow from, from these experiences and from what we lose and from what we give away, I think is a really important conversation. More moments after a word from our sponsors. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by VASC, whose footwear has delivered trust on the trail since 1964. With over 50 years of trail footwear innovation, VASC's hiking boots, backpacking boots, and trail running shoes are built to perform on any trail, in any condition, around the world. Since I tried on a pair of VASC Breeze 3s back in April, I've been wearing them exclusively for my hikes. I like thinking about my hiking boots as friends I've taken on trails in Oregon, New Hampshire, Maine, and most recently, McGee Pass in the eastern Sierras of California. The best part is that for all the hiking I've used them for, I hardly had to break them in. They're crazy comfortable right out of the box. So much so that I didn't even bring a pair of camp shoes along with me on my backpacking trip. I wore my Vasks for five days straight. Vast designs and builds footwear that is honest, original, and true to their commitment to reliability and technical innovation, and is focused on a single-minded purpose, elevating your experience on the trail. Learn more at www.vasque.com. That's www.vasque.com. This episode is also brought to you by Kind Bar. Have you ever tried a Kind Bar? Kind makes delicious, healthy snacks in the U.S. using whole ingredients that you can recognize and pronounce. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of anything dark chocolate, especially when I'm out on the hiking trail. So my favorite bar is their dark chocolate chunk bar. I also love sharing snacks when I'm out there. It's so much fun tasting different flavors and fresh air. And thanks to Kind, I get to share a special deal with you. You can try 10 different full-size Kind bars like dark chocolate chunk, cranberry almond, and peanut butter breakfast bar for free. All you have to do is pay shipping. Go to www.kindsnacks.com sheexplorers for more details. When you sign up for the sample box, you'll also get to try Kind Snack Club, where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and member-only bonuses. So to try 10 different full-size Kind Bars for free, go to www.kindsnacks.com sheexplorers. That's K-I-N-D-S-N-A-C-K-S dot com slash sheexplorers. So our guests have talked about growth in the outdoors and in their personal lives. And our next guest touches upon her work life. Sari Tingy operates Alpaca Rafts, a manufacturer of pack rafts, but found her professional voice at Nike. I didn't really recognize this, this was an opportunity for growth until, like, retrospect in hindsight. But I was offered a position at Nike in Portland that I had not applied for and wasn't really looking for. But I was like, this would probably be a good professional growth opportunity. And I took it. And what I didn't realize at the time and have now come to so appreciate is Nike really encourages an atmosphere of connection and putting yourself out there and just introducing yourself to people. Like, it's mandatory. You have to make this little, like, 
one-page resume that talks about who you are and where you want to go and you shop it around to people and that's how people move around the company is you're like oh that person over there in design is working on a neat project that I want to hear about and you just email them and you're like hey do you want to grab a cup of coffee and tell me about what you're doing and sometimes they go really well and you make a new friend and you form like a connection and other times it's awkward but you have to do it if you want to progress around there like you cannot nobody else is there advocating for you and shopping you around like and it's a company of 10,000 people there in Beaverton. It really helped me grow in being able like, to reach out and talk to people and realize like that it's okay to put yourself out there and that a lot of people, most of them are like excited to hear from you and stoked that you find whatever small project that they're doing interesting and are happy to chat with you and that when people say no, it's not the end of the world. Before that, I would never just like email somebody out of the blue and introduce myself and be like, hey, is this a possibility? Could we just have like a quick chat about this? I would never have done that. Do you have any specific examples from your current work in life of that lesson kind of carrying forward? I went to a race, a pack rafting race, and there weren't that many women involved in it. There were a ton of women at the after party event for the race, but not that many women racing. And when I was talking to them, I kept hearing the same thing over and over. I was like, I could never do that. I wouldn't be able to keep up with my partner, my husband. I'd get left behind. I wouldn't have a friend to paddle with. The water might be scary. I've never paddled that river before. And I was like, well, all of these are perhaps legitimate concerns as like, and solvable. So I was like, well, I'll just email the people putting on the race and see what they would think about having a women's clinic the day before and adding it to their festival where we go over like basic paddling strokes, some swift water safety basics, and maybe get on the river and paddle so people can feel the flavor of the water and then offer like discounted day of race registration and for the race if women are able to find another race partner. And they were super receptive to the idea because I was like, well, what's the worst thing? They just never email me back. And it worked out really well, and it's been really successful. And we've had 30 women both years since then at this clinic beforehand. In your professional life, how do you know when it's time to listen to that voice inside telling you it's time to leave a job? This is Greta Matos. I was living and working in China as a manufacturing manager for a product development company. I had been working for this company for two years and had steadily been growing my career and yet I was so exhausted at that point by the environmental and human degradation that I witnessed every day as I toured factories all around China. I kept staying and justifying staying in the belief that the business experience that I was getting was priceless. I tried to influence change within the company, pitching a green sourcing strategy, developing a human rights baseline assessment for all of our new suppliers. I pitched it to my bosses and it was really well received. And then the next day, we had a pitch call with a client, and they were telling the client that we were a green sourcing agent in China. And I felt so violated because my proposal had a three-year rollout <laughs> and needed extensive investment. And again, I felt in my gut that it was time to go, and yet I stayed. I was feeling so depleted 
and cynical about the state of the world, overwhelmed by the sheer volume of stuff that we were making and consuming every single day. And I went into a meeting with my bosses to prepare for another pitch, and I finally said no. They wanted me to talk about our capacity in China. They wanted to say that we had the capacity needed to meet this really big order, and we didn't. So I said no. And they told me to come in the next day early, and they fired me. They told me that they needed everyone to be 100% on board, and that I should probably go work in philanthropy. <laughs> the part of me that has always been an overachiever and a straight-A student was devastated to be fired. And yet, in many ways, it was a fierce awakening of this wild-hearted being in me who had silently been nudging me for months, telling me it was time to go, and I hadn't listened to. And now she was breathing, and I could feel her breathing. And I realized that I had stayed too long. I realized what it felt like to stay too long. And I realized the power of knowing and trusting my knowing. And after all of that, I had such a clarity in the prioritization of my work, my willingness to do work that was meaningful in the world, how I wanted to show up as a positive influence as opposed to contributing to the negative, and how I could honor that inner voice that knew when it was time to leave and never, ever doubt her again. Lisa Kowiski was a special guest artist at the film festival. She's an artist who went down the professional path of graphic design at an agency, but has recently gone freelance. I asked her if she had a moment of growth to share. Yeah, definitely. So one of the biggest moments of growth was when I decided to um, finally leave my desk job and go full-time freelancing. I had been freelancing on the side for about five years and was working in um, just a big corporation as the graphic designer and marketing coordinator. And then I would work eight to five, come home, go for a run, and then work on commissioned oil paintings for a couple hours and then go to bed and do it all over again. And after a lot of just building up clientele and also having a support system that really pushed me and believed in me before I believed in myself, I finally decided to take that leap and go full out freelance, and um, and that's just really catapulted my career because it's it's a do or die. You wear every hat um, in a business as a freelancer. You know, you're your own marketing, you're your own um, accountant, <laughs> and you're the creative and networking. But I've I've learned so much about myself and. Um, even that I love more than just the art, but I love the people that I meet through it. And um, I also love networking and collaborating. When you were working as a graphic designer, and I think you said it was for universities, what was that, that tipping point for you in making the decision between staying and taking a chance and pursuing a freelance art career? So I was working in the college industry and... I guess, excelling in that position. Like, I got promoted 
quickly and was traveling and taking on more responsibilities. I was in charge of a team of designers. All of the right things were happening, quote unquote, but I was going nuts, (laughs) like sitting in a cubicle for nine hours a day. I guess I ask a lot of the time, like, the question, why? Like, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? What's the meaning behind it? And I just felt like I just can't get really excited about creating merchandise for whatever university, um, even though there's a purpose to it. So after a while, I think just really thinking about, like, the kind of quality of life that I wanted to have and that I'm young now, I can, I can do it, I can fall on my face and go back to that <laughs> if I need to, but I'm going to work twice as hard, twice as long, so that I don't have to do that and I can live a vibrant, passionate life. Many of the stories I heard from listeners related to their physical bodies. This is Janet Seaboards. After a life that was very physically limiting because of my 325 pounds, yesterday I celebrated my second year anniversary of changing my life and losing 135 pounds. I did this by climbing Diamond Head. It was also my three-month anniversary of my last chemo treatment for stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I stayed at the top of the volcano for quite a while, to really think about what I had just done. I am 54 years old. I was overwhelmed with the thought, if I can do this, I really can do anything from here on out. Here's Lindsay Kovar. My moment of growth was pretty small. I I had an abnormal mole that was discovered on my back that had to be removed. It just made me pause and think that I needed to remember to take care of myself. Since then, I've made the time to look after myself as well as others and make my health a priority. I also live in Houston, and uh, we just went through Hurricane Harvey. I was very fortunate through that event and, and was really moved seeing everyday people helping other people and being just so gracious helps remind me what a wonderful world we live in and that we should treasure it and the people in it. Uh, this is Aubrey Moore. I was previously a military helicopter pilot And then in September of 2016, I found out I was going to have to undergo a fusion and disc replacement for four of the vertebrae in my neck due to uh, spinal cord compression. Basically, the vertebrae in my neck were collapsing and squishing my spinal cord like a pancake. I remember sitting in my house before the surgery just completely in shock because I knew that I had to have the surgery but I also knew that most likely I would come out of it unable to continue flying probably unable to stay in the military and with a lengthy and painful recovery process ahead of me. In addition, the doctors were concerned that I had suffered a spinal cord injury, and I found out later that was true. A minor one, but still a spinal cord injury. I was completely devastated, to say the least. Flying was my passion. It was everything to me. I felt completely helpless and overwhelmed that my whole life was changing and I didn't have any control over it. So I sat, and I thought, and I cried, and I thought some more, and then I had a moment of realization. I realized I couldn't change anything that was going to happen, but I could choose how I approached it. I could choose what my attitude was going to be about it. I thought about it, and I set some goals, and I wanted to get to the one-year anniversary of the surgery 
and look back and say, I handled everything with a good attitude and with grace. I worked really hard to start thinking of it as an opportunity that I was getting the chance to start over new. Uh, I made the joke a lot that this wasn't a roadblock in my life, it was just a speed bump. Every time anyone asked me what I was going to do next, and I probably got that question about a thousand and one times, I would respond, I don't know, but it's going to be a new adventure. And that's how I've been leading my life since then. Setbacks are no longer setbacks, they're challenges. That's how I think of them. And challenges always lead to new adventures. The last woman I talked to at No Man's Land was Margie Woods. At the festival, she debuted her first film, a short documentary about her solo journey by sailboat. Well, I sailed from San Francisco to Hawaii by myself, and um, I never thought I would do such a thing in my life. I've always been a sailor, but I, I never thought I would really do a big trip like that, let alone by myself. So it was something that was a little unexpected, but once I decided to do it, I was very driven, and um, nothing was going to stop me. Anyway, I made it in 17 days. Preparing my boat and myself in the 10 months before I went, and then the trip itself, I poured my heart and soul and blood, sweat, and tears, like somebody else said, into this endeavor. With help, I had a lot of support and help, which was wonderful. But what I realized, I think my aha moment, and in my film I say, I realized while I was out there that this whole thing was, I was going out there looking for something in myself and looking for answers maybe and looking for, I don't know, validation, I think. I realized that it really was a journey back to myself. And I said that when I got back from my trip. But I think my aha moment came much later because after I got back from my trip, I kind of got depressed and I went into like a very low time and my boat got destroyed by the shipping company on the way back from Hawaii and that was very sad and and I just went into a big funk but I realized as I've started to come out of the funk that this journey back to myself idea is starting now part of what that means for me is learning that I don't have to play small I don't have to second guess myself I, I think I've, I've always had this big kind of go-getter personality and I've always felt that I need to tone that down around certain people because I felt they would criticize me or make me feel weird or, or I would make them feel weird by being this big person, I don't know. And the other thing was is that if I felt like I was kind of good at something, I would tone that down too because I, I felt like I needed to give the other people space to be more experts or something. You know, like somebody will come onto my boat who's a good sailor who I perceive to have more experience than me. And instead of staying in the space of knowing all that I know and being all of who I am, I would shrink back and kind of let them take over in a way, which is very sad. And I really saw that bigger than life on my boat. And I realized I'd been doing that my whole life with lots of different things. And so my aha moment when I was at sea and as I'm processing it now is that I didn't do that when I was by myself out there. I didn't ever question anything. I just knew I was going to deal with it as it came up. And I learned that I could trust myself. And I think that was the biggest thing for me, was trusting that I could do this. I always say I sailed my boat the best way I knew how, one moment at a time. And that's what it took to get that whole way. And that's what it has taken to get from when I even landed to now and come through a depression and rising into actually creating this film, which has been very healing for me. So 
I don't really know what the exact aha moment is, but I I realized that it wasn't the trip itself, I guess. It was what came afterwards and what that has sort of catapulted me into, which part of it is this film and another film that I want to make after this about solo offshore sailors, women solo offshore sailors. So I don't know if that was a very good answer. But oh, it was like <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make myself small now. No, no. <laughs> So do you think that this solo endeavor was necessary to kind of getting that feeling of realization that you are enough in, in the work that you do? Yeah. I think I went out there wanting to kind of prove something, or I don't really know exactly what, but what I realized when I was out there, which I said to you in, your e- in my email, is that I realized I was enough, just as I was, and I didn't have to do anything or prove anything to anybody and that was a really huge thing for me because I've been working really hard at proving a lot of things for a long time and I'm turning 50 in a month and I'm about ready to stop that. (laughs) When you say that you were looking to prove something, were you looking to prove your worth or your ability and like who were you looking to prove that to if so? It was partially you know this physical thing of proving my ability as a sailor because as a woman in that world as much as I feel very supported by most of the men in my life that are sailors also there's this little thing that goes on where people think it's like such so amazing that you can sail your boat by yourself you know and it's like it's really not that amazing I mean it's yes it's great but it's just as amazing as the guy over there that does it you know and so there's this strange thing about being a woman and being a sailor and I think I was proving something about that because a lot of people made a huge deal that I was the only woman in the race and are you sure and you know this kind of well why aren't you asking those guys that question you know and and so I think it was proving something about that and then also probably proving something to my dad who is a lifelong sailor and somebody who I've always that's gonna make me cry now um I felt like I had to, as much as he loved me, I felt like I had to always be better and do more. And he doesn't know that, I don't think. But that's something that's inside of me. And and I think just this weird like entity up there that I have to prove something to because I've just felt like I needed to do more to be worthy. Have you ever told your dad that? Talk to him about it? I don't think so. Yeah, That would be a very interesting <laughs> conversation. My mom's back there. Yeah, I, I don't think so and I think he would probably think it was really silly because I think he's really proud of me and he's and we're very kindred spirits you know but he pushes himself like that and I think I kind of took that on and I think the goal thing has to do with proving it's like if I keep setting goals for myself and I keep pushing myself and I keep doing this and I'm proving that I'm somehow worthy you know instead of just being in the moment of what you're doing not to say that we shouldn't have adventure because it's a wonderful thing but I think that's another thing I really learned So we're not quite done yet. I feel weird sharing my own moment, but I'm going to do it because <laughs> I feel like in the spirit of bringing other people up. Last week I was, I went for a four-night backpacking trip in the Sierras. Not like a super long trip, not a super short trip. And I was going with five other women, and we weren't putting in a lot of mileage. We did about eight, nine, ten miles a day, and we had one whole day that was off that we were going to be able to relax by a lake and just kind of take in the beauty and and do the things that we feel passionate about. But 
I gave myself only a few hours to pack. I packed really hastily and I got on the trail and I realized that I didn't bring a book with me. I didn't bring headphones with me to listen to a podcast. I didn't bring any form of entertainment for any of the downtime. And then I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh no, I'm gonna have all, like you go to bed at eight o'clock in your tent and you just sit there. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm gonna be like alone with my thoughts for a lot of time. And I realized that that kind of scared me, like that I was gonna have any distractions, no typical entertainment. Usually even when I'm working, I'm either editing a podcast or I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to music. And um, it was a big moment of one, just that moment in that realization when I was hiking that I was gonna have to do that and kind of get over that hump of like being with myself. There shouldn't be anything wrong with being with yourself, but um, it made me think about why I might feel a little uneasy in that. And for that, for me, that was like a moment of, of growth. And I'm not really sure where that's gonna take me. Like, am I going to consume less content? Am I gonna give myself a little more headspace? I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> so I just wanted to end with a quote that actually uh, a woman in who I communicated with through a Facebook group that I have for this podcast left when I asked for some prompts around individual listeners. This woman, Jessie Strong, left a quote from a book that I haven't read called Tracks, but I've been recommended to read it a bunch of times. It's by Robin Davidson. There are some moments in life that are like pivots around which your existence turns, small intuitive flashes, when you know you have done something correct for a change, when you think you are on the right track. I watched a pale dawn streak the cliffs with day glow and realized that this was one of them. It was a moment of pure, uncomplicated confidence and lasted about 10 seconds. <laughs> Thank you everyone for coming today, I really appreciate it. Big thanks to No Man's Land Film Festival and Asia Weinhold for inviting She Explorers to do a live podcast. Thank you to all the panelists and the listeners who submitted their stories. I actually asked them for their thoughts in our She Explorers podcast Facebook group. It's turned into a lovely source of conversation around the outdoors, this podcast, conservation issues, and creativity. Links to every woman featured here will be located on our landing page via she-explorers.com slash podcast and through our show notes. Thanks to our sponsors, Vask and Kindbar. As a reminder, you can support the podcast and get a box of 10 full-size Kind Snacks by heading to www.kindsnacks.com slash she-explorers. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, if you like She Explores, you'll probably enjoy our sister podcast, Women on the Road, stories of life on the road from the feminine perspective. Music is by Steve Combs, Kay Engel, Josh Woodward, Lee Rosevere, and Fog Lake. Last week, I took my twin sister backpacking for the first time, 
Next week, I'll be sharing the whole experience with you in an episode about her first time carrying everything she needs and sleeping on the side of a mountain. Until then, bye.